In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, a peek inside the mysterious background of John Lennon's killer, Mark David Chapman. He was a massive drug addict during the 1970s. He did have some psychotic episodes, wanting to commit suicide. So he probably had some fairly extensive medical records. So, you know, I think there's enough telltale trail here to suggest that whoever looks for these kinds of people found this Mark David Chapman as being a uh, potential candidate. The Horrible Movie Podcast is a weekly show hosted by Jack Altermat. Jack invites a guest who brings a horrible theater-released movie to dissect. Jack and his guests take you through the highs and lows of the movie and what makes it horrible. New movies, older movies, cult classics, or box office busts. No movie is spared or safe from the Horrible Movie Podcast. It's a fun show with clean language, and it's available through Spreaker.com, Apple Podcasts, StudioDNA.media, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Remember, just because it's from Hollywood doesn't mean it isn't horrible. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads.
exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Hey, welcome to your Wednesday. Still no sign of Bob the tortoise. Meanwhile, Zachary has taken a keen interest in some of the other wildlife that roams the property here. There are two tiny types of lizards we find scaling the stone walls and steps and terraces. Uh, the aptly named Peloponnese wall lizard. And then there are uh, green rock lizards. He's trying to catch some of those and that seems to be keeping him occupied and his mind off dear departed Bob the tortoise. Uh, we've been so busy working on the house, painting furniture, weeding, cleaning the property of construction debris, that we really have had no time to look into getting cats. But there are plenty of feral cats around here already that are trying to ingratiate themselves into our lives. All right, let's get to it. John Lennon's killer, Mark David Chapman, is to appear before a parole hearing sometime this week. This will be his 10th such hearing. He's not expected to be granted parole and will likely remain behind bars for the shooting death of the former Beatle. Here to discuss the parole hearing and to reveal the mysterious background of Mark David Chapman is Pepper Chomsky, the author of The One, who killed John Lennon? Pepper Chomsky, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? Very good. Thank you so much, Richard. Uh, you're a great host, and I so appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. Well, it's a, an opportune time to talk about Mark David Chapman because he is up for parole for a tenth time. Uh, where is Mark David Chapman uh, residing these days? Where is he? Uh, Mark David Chapman is in a maximum security prison uh, in upstate New York. And when is the parole hearing to take place? Uh, the parole hearing is scheduled for this week, and, and uh, typically the parole board reserves a couple of weeks after the hearing before they release their decision. And does Yoko Ono or... Are there representatives from John Lennon's family that, that typically will show up uh, at a hearing to give a, a victim impact statement or something like that? Right. Typically, there are a lot of objectors, and in Mark David Chapman's case, uh, you know, he's generated a lot of pushback. Uh, there was a rally that was held last week. Uh, in New York, um, just out uh, out in front of the Dakota apartment building, and uh, Paul McCartney was featured at that particular rally. Uh, Yoko does have um, letters sent from herself and members of her family uh, every time that uh, Chapman is up for parole. Um, so any objectors are encouraged to contribute and uh, um I would say at this point in time, uh, there's been quite a lot of objection to uh, Chapman's release. And what is your, your sense, uh, based on your research, people you've talked to, your sources, what, is your, what does your research tell you about the likelihood that, that Mark David Chapman will ever be paroled? Um, well, that's a great question. And um, 
you know, these things become very political, and certainly in the life and history of the late John Lennon, uh, there was a lot of politics uh, surrounds these uh, uh, these kinds of matters. Um, you know, I, I myself sent notes to uh, the Trump administration and some of the Trump people uh, early on in the campaign, which is a year ago, just telling them that this parole was coming up and that it really would be um, a very sad moment for America if uh, if Mark David Chapman was paroled. Um, so I'm hoping that the Trump administration has taken this to heart. Um, it is, uh, you know, a certainly um, a massive um, decision for the parole board if they were to release him uh, after so many years of, uh, of, of being in jail. So the question, obviously, that, that, that many people might ask is, you know, even as a, a huge Beatles fan, a huge John Lennon fan, it was a heinous crime. Uh, what, what often is overlooked that he wasn't just a beetle that was taken from us. He 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 was he left a widow. He he left an orphan. Uh, but there are many other um, murderers that that have been paroled after even 25 years. Why keep Mark David Chapman behind bars? Does he still pose a risk? Well, you know, I. We, we have to look at the, uh, you know, the, the whole perspective of information that we know about uh, Mark David Chapman. And, uh, you know, if we pass the point where we accept that he was a lone gunman and we're open to now look at the complex of uh, connections and, um, uh, you know, subversive forces that uh, were behind Chapman, uh, releasing him basically is an invitation to all of those subversive forces. And so that what we end up dealing with is not just the lone gunman, but we deal with the, the politics, uh, we deal with the emotions, uh, we deal with the uh, agendas and priorities uh, of, uh, you know, of major organizations, if not governments. Ah, okay, so... Uh, that leads us obviously to the Lollapalooza question, and that is, it's this is not just about Chapman; it is the the shadowy figures behind the trigger men, which is so often the case with these high-profile assassinations. So let's uh, let's delve into that then. Uh, let's talk a little bit about whether or not Chapman uh, was a um, a programmed assassin, as some as, as some researchers researchers have suggested, uh, who were these people that that put him up to this? Well, uh, you know that I've written a book. Uh, the book is called The One, and uh, it does uh, detail a lot of the research and information uh, that I've been able to collect. Uh, I've been a researcher on the Lenin file for well over sixteen years. And uh, in, that, in that time period, uh, I've touched on um, people like Fenton Bressler. Fenton Bressler, who was a, a British researcher, a, uh, uh, he was a lawyer and, uh, you know, looked at things very pragmatically. Um, and, you know, he came to the conclusion that it was, it was basically impossible for Chapman to have pulled off this murder uh, by himself. Uh, Bressler, who is a British British 
was a British citizen, uh, thought that uh, perhaps it was the CIA that was involved. Um, then um, uh, there was a professor in the United States uh, who wrote a book on uh, John Lennon, um, Give Me the Truth, and uh, he spent years uh, petitioning the FBI for all of the Lennon papers. Um, you know, so the Lennon papers, when they were finally released, it took him a decade to get uh, all the information released from the FBI through the courts. Uh, and even with his appeals, uh, there were still um, redacted portions uh, when, the, when the final uh, papers were released to him. Um, but it seemed quite clear in the materials that uh, uh, were in the FBI files that foreign governments were certainly involved in uh, uh, surveilling uh, uh, John Lennon and uh, perhaps were significant in the, uh, in the murder as well. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is made possible by PwC. It's getting hot out here. Moving the mercury can help move your business. PwC helps turn sustainability theory into real-world action. Reduce your carbon footprint while increasing transparency in net-zero commitments. Start with reporting to identify your climate risks and reinvent your business. Create a more sustainable business and a stronger planet. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. You mentioned to me once before in a previous conversation about Fenton Bresler and how he had interviewed a member of um, the NYPD. I, 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 it may have been the lead homicide investigator in the case who told uh, Fenton Bresler that... The way Chapman behaved after the shooting uh, was almost in a robotic manner. He simply, after firing the weapon, he dropped the weapon, he sat down on the curb and proceeded to read uh, from, his, from his copy of Catcher in the Rye. And the homicide investigator said that he appeared to have been almost a programmed assassin. That's quite an alarming admission from from an NYPD police officer. What do you make of that? 
Um, well, you know, we, we've had this conversation before, and, uh, you know, you talked about the doorman uh, who was a suspected uh, CIA operative. And uh, very recently, uh, I've gone back to articles that were written uh, by a gentleman whose name is James R. Gaines, and they were written for People magazine back in 1987. Uh, there was no interview given by Chapman before this um, 1987 interview given to uh, uh, Mr. Gaines. And, um, you know, Mr. Gaines, in telling the story about Mark David Chapman, uh, you know, uses these words. He says that a silver-haired man uh, wearing a doorman's uniform came over to Chapman after the murder, uh, grabbed his wrist, and shook the gun out of his hand, and then kicked the gun uh, basically across to the sidewalk and told Chapman to go. And uh, Chapman said, well, where will I go? Uh, you know, he didn't know where to go. So if that doesn't say that this guy was programmed, he didn't know where to go until someone told him where to go. So that's one new piece of evidence. Uh, I think another significant piece of evidence is most guns hold six bullets. Chapman fired five bullets. How did this gentleman in the doorman's uniform know that there wasn't one more bullet left unless he knew the ballistics that Chapman was using, because Chapman used a gun that only held five bullets. Interesting. So this is new information, very interesting, and, it, and it's, you know, as evident as the nose on the faces, it was written in 1987. Uh, I went back to reread it after, you know, years and years of research, and uh, it becomes obvious that uh, this was all planned. The doorman you mentioned uh, was kind of a last-minute substitute, not the regular doorman at the Dakota. This was, was it Jose Perdomo? Was that the gentleman's name? Yeah, exactly, exactly. That, that, uh, that you know, was one of the uh, suspected uh, uh, people who could have been the doorman that night. But I think in, in Gaines' own words in his article, he says, a silver-haired gentleman wearing a doorman's uniform. Now, wouldn't it have been easier for Mr. Gaines to have said the doorman? Exactly. Yes, that is a very exactly. odd so it, wording. Yeah, it, 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 you know, it, it positions this particular subject as being, uh, you know, somewhat artificial and somewhat removed. A gentleman in a doorman's uniform. Well, it wasn't the doorman. It was a gentleman in a doorman's uniform. So I think that's pretty clear. And the fact that some individual, an unknowing individual, would walk up to a man with a gun who has just fired the gun and grab the wrist and try and shake the gun out. Uh, you know, if I was standing a foot and a half away from a gun and there's a potential bullet in the gun, I might not just be shaking his wrist to try and get the gun away. Right, right. So this... So that individual must have known what the ballistics were all about. Is it possible he was also Chapman's controller? Would he have used trigger words? Well, I, you know, the, the going back to the to the Bressler scenario, you know, Bressler uh, found that uh, on the trip from uh, Hawaii to New York, uh, Chapman went to Chicago and was in Chicago for a period of time. And we do know in the in the deep research uh, on Chapman that Chicago was a base 
that, uh, that Chapman worked out of for a number of years. So uh, uh, there's, there's absolutely no way that this Mark David Chapman was a lone gunman, and he had other people who were in his environment who were advising him and supporting him. And uh, Bresser's conclusion is exactly the same conclusion that I've come to and uh, so many other researchers have come to. Let's talk about his, his comings and goings in, in not only the months uh, leading up to the assassination on December 8, 1980, but the years. What was Mark David Chapman up to? What was he doing? Where was he traveling? Well, um, again, you know, I want to refer to uh, Mr. Gaines' article because in this, uh, you know, 10th reading, I finally read it so many times that it started to settle in. Um, you know, Mr. Gaines introduces Mark David Chapman uh, as being a fervent Christian, uh, as being a, uh, a board member of the YMCA. It says that right in that 1987 uh, article. I met Mark David Chapman, and just to introduce him, he was a board member of the YMCA. Well, in, in my impression of Mark David Chapman, he was anything but a board member of the YMCA. Here's somebody who was uh, a drug fiend at 16. Uh, he was part of cults. Uh, he was part of a, a youth management that um, may have originated from uh, the YMCA, and they do have headquarters in Chicago. Uh, we've talked about this before. I, I did sort of go through the, the sequence uh, when I appeared on your uh, TV show uh, that Mark David Chapman in 1975 was in Beirut, uh, apparently at a uh, YMCA summer camp. But this summer camp was way out in the mountains. And 1975, July of 1975, was the midst of a massive civil war, um, and, uh, you know, the, the Christians in Beirut were a target of this civil war, um, and he was there at this camp in the mountains. Um, one wouldn't draw the conclusion that he was there for a summer camp purpose or to be a board member and a, a goodwill ambassador from the uh, YMCA. The idea was he was being trained uh, as an assassin at this camp. That would be a logical conclusion if you were sitting in the middle of the mountain area around Beirut in the midst of a uh, uh, dramatic civil war. Um, and then further to that, uh, just a short uh, few minutes away by car um, would be the headquarters of uh, British intelligence for the entire region, uh, which was in Beirut, uh, in an area called Ras El Matin in the mountains. So uh, the region was known for high-level intelligence, and now Mark David Chapman is there in the midst of a massive uh, civil unrest. Uh, you think he'd learn how to uh, shoot a gun and kill people. That was probably a good place to be trained. Uh, n not many researchers, perhaps no other researcher, has has made this connection between Mark David Chapman and this this uh, this training base in in Lebanon. How did you connect the the dots uh, in your book, The One? Uh, well, the, uh, the interesting um, uh, sequence of events. Um, Mark David Chapman uh, met a gentleman whose name is David Moore, 
and David Moore became a mentor for him. Uh, David Moore was, in fact, uh, an international executive with the YMCA. And it was David Moore who made the arrangements for Chapman to go and visit Beirut in 1975. So again, that, you know, that speaks to somebody who was taking control of Chapman's life, uh, was directing his life, was moving him from the United States uh, to, um, uh, to Beirut at a time when there was the civil unrest. Um, and so, you know, that became fairly obvious. Uh, and then further to that, uh, I did research on YouTube and found some videos that were taken uh, at, in the 1975 period uh, with characters in them that look like Mark David Chapman. Uh, even, even disguised with uh, you know, some long hair and uh, sunglasses or something like that, but uh, it's quite clear when you sort of do a face recognition analysis that this could possibly be Mark David Chapman. And I did follow up with uh, American uh, facial recognition software experts and also a uh, facial recognition expert that works for um, uh, law enforcement in the United States. And uh, we had a number of discussions whether or not this actually could be Mark David Chapman. And I still assert that it's Mark David Chapman. Why Mark David Chapman? Why did they and we'll get into who they were in a little more detail. Why did they f hone in on Mark David Chapman as the, uh, the assassin? Why did they pick him? Uh, well, that, again, you, you know, you always ask pertinent questions, and I was pondering that myself today, and uh, came up with a new interesting conclusion, and that is that your, <clears throat> your medical records are private, to other individuals, but they're not private to your government because your government is basically storing your medical records. So if someone was looking for an individual with Mark David Chapman's, uh, you know, own idiosyncrasies, I mean, he was a massive uh, drug addict uh, during the um, uh, 1970s. Uh, he did have some psychotic episodes. Uh, wanting to commit suicide. So he probably had some fairly extensive records, uh, medical records, um, given the fact that he was associated with the YMCA and their headquarters were in Chicago. Um, you know, there would have been an opportunity to uh, create some kind of a file on him. Uh, the fact that he was connected with David Moore uh, and David Moore was very obviously involved at a very high level uh, with the YMCA. Uh, David Moore also um, made it possible for Mark David Chapman to travel to Geneva, Switzerland, where he met the senior management and executives, worldwide executives of uh, uh, the uh, YMCA. So, you know, I think there's enough telltale trail here to suggest that... Um, Whoever you know, whoever looks for these kinds of people, uh, found uh, found this Mark David Chapman as being a uh, potential candidate. And and what is it about a a drug uh, addict and someone with serious you know mental illness? Uh, why does that why does that make them a good candidate? 
Okay, so um, what what the conclusion I came to today is that um, you know maybe this guy was telling psychiatrists that he was hearing little voices in his head, and if I was looking to try and um, manipulate someone, maybe putting little voices in their head would be a would be a good way to manipulate them. And if they were already hearing little voices, adding a few more voices wouldn't be that disturbing to them. Interesting, right? And I suppose it also provides great cover that if you pick someone with a mental illness, uh, people will just say, well, you know, never mind this conspiracy, obviously this man was a nut. Uh, and, and it fits that narrative, the lone gunman nut uh, with, you know, delusions, with delusional, uh, you know, paranoia and so forth. Uh, meanwhile, that individual is being controlled uh, and, and programmed. So it gives, it gives I guess, the, the shadowy figures some plausible deniability. Yeah, I think that's a great conclusion to come to. Every town has a dark side. This is Andrew Fitzgerald from the Every Town podcast, where every single week we dive into insane and mysterious true crime stories, most of which you've never heard of. Stories like the bizarre disappearance of Tyler Davis in Columbus, Ohio, a 29-year-old father trying to find his way back to his hotel when he disappeared and was never heard from again. And Elizabeth Shove from Lugoff, South Carolina, who was abducted from her driveway by a madman and taken to his underground bunker in the woods. And we give you all the details you're interested in hearing about without any fluff or fillers, because ain't nobody got time for that. Cover everything from psychopaths to poltergeists. So go check out the Every Town podcast because every town, no matter how nice it may seem, has a dark side. We all enjoy a little mystery. Every other week, one strange thing presents forgotten stories from America's newspaper archives. They all have something in common a single element that can't quite be explained. Join us on One Strange Thing, and you'll hear about a man who was literally stricken with genius. A 21st century child who remembered piloting a World War II bomber. A mysterious, unidentifiable blob in Texas. And then there was the lizard man stalking through small town South Carolina. From cryptids and disappearances to modern-day miracles, One Strange Thing brings you stories that are very real and just a little otherworldly. Subscribe now, wherever you listen. Richard has tiny talking insects living in his sock drawer. We have bags and we are living in Richard's sock drawer. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pepper Chomsky, the author of The One, Who Killed John Lennon, is here. While he was living in Hawaii, I believe he was was a resident in a mental institution for a time. Do we know anything about that facility? For example, has it ever come up in, in other sort of mind control type programs or anything? Do, do we know where he was in Hawaii and if there's a connection between that mental health facility and, for example, the CIA or the FBI? Okay, so um, there's, two, uh, there's two answers I have for your question. 
Uh, one is that I do urge all of your listeners uh, to go on the internet and take a look at the Ferris YMCA camp in Ras El Metin, um, Lebanon. And, you know, take a look at the facilities at that camp and you tell me whether that's someplace you're going to go to have a great time or someplace that somebody else is going to make sure that you're in a controlled environment. Uh, very basic, very basic, uh, living conditions, very, very basic, uh, shelter and that, uh, you, you could be programmed. Any individual could be programmed in an environment like that because um, it it had no no extra uh, you know um, um, uh, sort of you know extra accoutrements for, that would say well this was going to be a fun place to hang out so um, from that standpoint the the camp in uh, in Lebanon uh, definitely had a kind of a, a a power to it that would would be attractive to someone who was looking to do mind control. Um, the other part of the story is that um, the uh, the uh, American press uh, were able to report that uh, on a number of occasions, uh, you know, Mark David Chapman would get himself wired up with cocaine. He used to like cocaine. And uh, on one occasion, a night or two before um, leaving for New York, uh, he stripped himself naked and he was listening to... Um, uh, you know, uh, either Helter Skelter or Revolution or some Beatles albums that he'd be listening to. And, you know, he would be sort of getting himself up for the, for the event, you know, sort of building an emotional, uh, backbone that would power him to be able to fly to New York and shoot the gun. So, um, there's no doubt this guy was, uh, you know, psychotic. There's no doubt he had these episodes that um, you know that were not were not normal. Uh, what 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 did transpire after the shooting is that the New York police uh, sent um, sent Chapman to Roosevelt Hospital, uh, where they would routinely have him looked at by a psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist was trying to find some uh, some symptom. Uh, that she would be able to label him as uh, as having uh, some psychological uh, um, a medical medical issue, uh, but she said after reviewing him, uh, she couldn't find him with any uh, medical issue at all, and um, and didn't offer an opinion. So he left Roosevelt Hospital, um, you know, without any uh, um, uh, without any diagnosis. But but clearly, I mean, he was he was mentally ill. Wouldn't you agree? Well, Gaines also in his article uh, says uh, very sarcastically that uh, you know anyone who would look at giving up his freedom uh, to uh, make himself famous by killing uh, a famous person like John Lennon, uh, you know, must must be somewhat uh, psychotic. Uh, to give up your freedom for that, um, but I, I just don't think that the the psychosis was really um, prevalent because the time that he was in um, uh, in Hawaii, he was training as a uh, security guard, so he would have uh, lots of handguns. 
he'd have lots of uh, ammunition. He'd be able to go to ranges to practice. Um, and again, you know, that didn't send any red flags up anywhere. Uh, certainly if, uh, you know, if he was under stress that he was going to be sent to New York to have to kill John Lennon, um, he might have had some stress and he might have gone to see uh, a psychiatrist in a hospital or something. Um, maybe he was looking for a prescription for some kind of opioid. You know, because uh, certainly he was taking lots of drugs. Now, you mentioned British intelligence. Uh, why I did, did why would they want John Lennon dead? Uh, what would the motive be? Uh, well, this is a you know a long backstory, and uh, we did uh, cover this um, when uh, you know you were kind enough to offer me time on your uh, television show. Um, the, the involvement of the British in sort of a world domination has sort of been their raison d'etre, uh, you know, as a, um, a country that went out and captured uh, large uh, land masses and populations around the world. And um, it's suspected that uh, the Beatles were part of some kind of a plan uh, to try and enforce uh, domination, British domination uh, over America, and that the entire psychedelic uh, era was created by the British uh, so that there would be an anti-war movement in the United States and in an attempt to um, derail the uh, military uh, uh, military um, uh, base and uh, build up in um, Southeast Asia, which became the Vietnam War. Uh, and at some point in time, we suspect that uh, Lenin, who uh, was part of the sort of rise of the psychedelic era, uh, realized that, um, you know, maybe it just wasn't an absolutely natural occurrence. And there may have been forces uh, behind the rise of this psychedelic era. Um, so he was under surveillance uh, by uh, British forces uh, in his in his uh, attempt to leave uh, the UK. He sort of went into asylum, and uh, he, uh, he he went to the Netherlands, and he had the bed in in the Netherlands, and then he came to Canada, and he was hoping that um, Pierre Elliott Trudeau could uh, offer him some asylum in Canada. Uh, but I, I guess it just wasn't going to be um, uh, assured. So uh, he went to the United States, and even in the United States, uh, he was under such tremendous surveillance uh, that at one point he said to Rolling Stone magazine that he thought that all of the phone systems in New York weren't working because uh, there were always clicks on the line. Every time he went to an apartment, uh, they, they always had guys coming in to fix the phones. How much of that was, was Richard Nixon's administration, who, who simply didn't want Lenin stirring up uh, and agitating, you know, the, the younger generation and, and, as part of the, uh, the protests against the war in Vietnam? How much of that was Nixon, and how much of that was British intel? Yeah, well, there's no doubt that the, uh, the Nixon administration was very involved with Lenin, uh, you know, they, they held up his green card application and, uh, you know, they did, I guess, whatever they could, um, you know, from a, from an official standpoint, uh, 
to delay to delay him becoming a uh, a U.S. citizen. Um, but there there is a sort of documented history that these two governments, you know, did uh, did cooperate, and um, so we were thinking that a lot of the surveillance may have been done by uh, MI6 operating in the United States. Um, and uh, I think that that caused Lenin to move into his uh, retaliation mode. And again, I detail all of this uh, in my book, uh, the one uh, which talks about um, how John Lennon uh, in 1973 uh, left New York and went to Los Angeles and California. Um, at the same time, he was uh, publishing the uh, the song Mind Games, and in the song Mind Games, it talks about uh, Alan Watts, who uh, is a British was a British expat um, philosopher, and uh, coincidentally, surreptitiously, uh, and any other. Um, adjective that you want to use to describe uh, the the uh, occurrence, but um, Alan Watts died mysteriously the same day uh, that the um, Mind Games song was released, and John Lennon was in um, was in Los Angeles at that time. Uh, Alan Watts was in San Francisco. So again, in the in the uh, the, the Lennon. Um, uh, arena. There, there may have been reasons why a British government might have wanted to retaliate against John, John Lennon, um, and may have wanted to become part of a larger conspiracy for his murder. The idea here that that Lennon killed Alan Watts, uh, uh, who was an MI an MI six asset. That Lennon killed him, and that the song Mind Games was. Lenin sort of trying to wake people up as to what was going on in the world? Um, well, yeah, I think that, that John Lennon, uh, you know, through his, his uh, uh, understanding of what was happening in, uh, in, uh, in Britain with the Beatles and perhaps the involvement of the Secret Service, uh, and then as he came into New York and he found himself um, really uh, harassed by these uh, special special services, um, you know, he maybe said, well, you know what, I can take, I can take a shot at you. You want to take a shot at me? I can take a shot at you. Uh, Alan Watts historically is considered the uh, architect of the uh, countercultural revolution. Um, he, he lived on a shadowy houseboat uh, in Sausalito Bay. Uh, he uh, was a, uh, an organizer, uh, a supporter of uh, Timothy Leary and Leary's activities. Um, he brought together uh, uh, the Houseboat Summit, which had Allen Ginsberg and Leary and himself. And this was all the uh, uh, architectural uh, foundation for the counterculture revolution uh, in the United States. So when, um, when uh, uh, John Lennon identified Watts in this song as being uh, a mind gorilla and all the other things that he talked about in Mind Games, uh, he never says Watts' his name. That was my deduction, which uh, is a result of my research. But I'm I'm pretty sure now that uh, Lennon was writing about Alan Watts. Uh, and then the fact that Lennon left New York and went to California was in Los Angeles, and Watts was only in San Francisco. Uh, you know, he set this up that uh, you know he definitely wanted to be a threat, 
and uh, and this was was his way of uh, not physically uh, killing someone, but maybe through uh, exposing them in the music, uh, that became enough of a threat. And um, you know, Alan Watts, uh, Alan Watts's life was uh, was uh, dispensable at that point. Uh, so then, if that happened in 1973, why wait seven years to to take Lennon out? Okay, so the timing would be 73 was the uh, uh, Mind Games uh, album, and then in 1975, uh, Chapman is in Beirut, so that's only a few years later, uh, and then it probably took a few years to uh, track Lennon and uh, figure out when the best time would be for this particular um, episode uh, for the hit. Uh, and, you know, again, another very interesting fact, um, the, uh, the date, December the 8th, is the eighth day of the 12th month. And uh, if you look at the, uh, uh, the history of Buddhism, uh, Buddha achieved his highest enlightenment, uh, they call it Rohatsu, on the eighth day of the 12th month. So if the hit was designed to be on the eighth day of the twelfth month on Rohatsu, that would have sent a really clear message to uh, Yoko Ono and uh, and you know all of those other people who um, you know were, were uh, Buddhist faith uh, and um, uh, you know would have t- would have said to them that this this is serious business. This is real serious. Fascinating. Now. Uh Mark David Chapman, if, if he was, in a sense, programmed, uh, you know, so often in these assassinations, the, the gunman is, is taken out as well. Uh, we saw this with Lee Harvey Oswald. Wouldn't it have been a much cleaner operation just to take Chapman out rather than risk having him, I don't know, perhaps one day be paroled or, or perhaps, you know, speak to the press about who was really behind this? Why was Mark David Chapman allowed to live? Sure. Okay. So, um, uh, in, in trying to answer that question, uh, because, uh, that is the real assume to assume to assume, uh, kind of a, kind of a, a question to try and answer. Um, but dealing with the facts, uh, the facts are, uh, that Mark David Chapman, when he was brought to the court and, um, he was asked what he wanted to plead, he pleaded guilty. And so in pleading guilty, that meant that there was never going to be an investigation of any of the uh, matters leading up to the murder. Uh, At the point where he pleaded guilty, um, the courts didn't need to investigate. There didn't need to be any further prosecution of him. So uh, having him alive and having him plead guilty uh, meant that it was a, a clean way of uh, completing the history. And the fact that he's sat in jail since 1980, I'm sure is not a real concern uh, for anyone who may have been part of the uh, organizing group. But, but an investigator, a journalist like yourself, could, could get gain access to Mark David Chapman, conduct an interview, and maybe start poking around and start asking about people like David Moore and this YCA, YMCA training camp. Wouldn't that be a potential risk? Yeah, try to get an interview with Mark David Chapman. Uh, you'd probably, it'd probably be easier to get an interview with uh, the president 
than uh, Mark David Chapman. Uh, first of all, he has to grant you the right to an interview. So uh, I'm sure he's being counseled not to grant anyone rights to interview. Um, this, this Mr. Gaines, James R. Gaines, was the only person to interview Mark David Chapman formally other than Barbara Walters. And, uh, you know, if you look at the history of, uh, of Mr. Gaines, uh, you know, you'll see some connections through, uh, through the McBurney School in New York. You'll see some potential connections to J.D. Salinger. Uh, you know, there's lots of things that are, that are now starting to appear, uh, you know, like the litmus test. Uh, the litmus paper is white until, until you stick it in the right fluid, and then when you put it in the right fluid, it turns pink. So that seems to be what's happening now, that I've, I've, I've cut away so much of the detail that the, uh, the, the reality of Mark David Chapman is starting to appear uh, with some key individuals and uh, key uh, uh, historical dates. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, the picture is, is completing itself. Just last question. I have to ask you about the connection to J.D. Salinger because, uh, you know, we, we saw in the Mel Gibson movie Conspiracy Theory the, the, the role that that book, Catcher in the Rye, played as a triggering mechanism. Uh, I believe it is rumored that, that John Hinckley, who attempted to assassinate Ronald Reagan, uh, also had a copy of Catcher in the Rye. What is it with that book? Yeah, okay. So um, I don't think that there's anything in the book itself uh, that is so dramatic. I know that Mark David Chapman did quote from the book uh, as part of his court hearing, etc. Um, but I think the person who gave the book to Chapman, how Chapman acquired the book, was the important part because um, on the cover of the uh, of the People magazine in 1987, it shows Chapman holding the book like he was holding a Bible. And, uh, and it's, and it said that night that when the police came to him, he was holding the book close to his chest like it was a Bible. And again, I, 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 uh, am only surmising, but, uh, my thought is that maybe the book itself was important because of whoever gave the book to Chapman, whatever, uh, direction that person gave to Chapman, uh, which could have been, uh, a high level person, uh, involved with, uh, uh, the YMCA organization or a high-level person in government. Uh, David Moore did make sure that Chapman um, met um, uh, Gerald Ford. Uh, that was very important and was noted in the history of Mark David Chapman that, uh, that he met Gerald Ford. Hmm. So, um, you know, maybe it was someone of great importance gave him this book, and he felt that it was a very holy thing for him. How do people get a copy of The One? Uh, well, The One is uh, at the moment uh, in, a, uh, in a state of uh, uh, sort of self-publishing. Um, but uh, what I'd recommend is, uh, you know, with uh, your, your capabilities, your outreach, if they did want to connect with you, um, we could make uh, copies or excerpts available uh, through... Um, uh, you know, through your uh, your capabilities. Terrific. Uh, is there a website uh, that you can give us, Pepper? Uh, well, the uh, the website that uh, that I have available, I do have a YouTube teaser, uh, uh, which is uh, Pepper Chomsky uh, at YouTube, and you can see the one the the trailer that uh, that was created. 
Um, and uh, if they want to respond through YouTube, uh, certainly they can respond through YouTube. Terrific. Pepper, thank you so much for this. Always a delight. It's a great pleasure. Thank you so very much, Richard. Okay, before I say goodnight to the moon over Messenia, I'm going to tell you what's coming up next on Conspiracy Unlimited. The spacecraft crashed on the field in a farm. The history of rock and roll is littered with suspicious deaths and the unexplainable. The bodies that were in the spacecraft was in the exact way that aliens. Lennon, Hendrix, Presley, Jim Morrison, the truth told by the experts and the people there. Revelations that will blow your mind. Rock and Roll Twilight Zone with Richard Serrett. Listen and subscribe at Apple Podcast and Google Play. Join me Friday in conversation with Dr. Elena Gabor as she discusses how to remember past lives. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are, leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.